needed a break. Um, so, Happy New Year, everyone. I was chatting to someone um, the other day on the phone, and I said Happy New Year, and we were debating when it's too late to say Happy New Year. And I said, um, well, maybe it's the first time you see somebody in this new year. And then I thought, what if you didn't see them till like 25th of December or something the following year? That would be a bit weird. So um, anyway, Happy New Year. I think it's safe to say after a week. Um, as Nick said, I'm David My and Nicola and I have the privilege of leading the church here at Life Vineyard. Um, if you're with us online, really thrilled that you are with us. Um, we know it's still slightly strange times, so it's really great that you're able to connect with us in that way. Over Christmas, um, there was a really sad news that Desmond Tutu had died. Um, for decades, he was a man who fought injustice, had battled for equality, and demonstrated remarkable forgiveness and compassion. He also overflowed in unquenchable joy. I love what John Sentimu, who was the Archbishop of York, said. He said, his feet were firmly on the ground, but always looking to the horizon of hope. How cool is that? I love that. You know, when you consider what he lived through, apartheid and the following Truth and Reconciliation Commission, the passion, the empathy, the wisdom he demonstrated was cl as close to Jesus sometimes. There were pictures I remember watching of him in one of these kind of Truth and Reconciliation stumble over that word, reconciliation commission, with just tears pouring down his face as he was kind of helping people to, to kind of come together after all of these horrible things that had happened. You know, that's as close to Jesus as I can remember seeing, because Jesus wept, and so did Desmond Tutu. You know, how did he stay so positive, so optimistic, so compassionate, well, both Justin Welby, who's the current Archbishop, and John Sentamu explain how. Justin Welby says this. He followed the pattern of life, of Je the pattern and life of Jesus Christ. He was so rooted in Christ, he feared nothing. I love that. He was so rooted in Christ, he feared nothing. You know, what do you think when I say abundant life? You know, it's a phrase that churches use quite often, abundant life. Maybe you think of a monetary um, abundance or lots of possessions, you know, you have everything you want. Or m maybe wonderful experience, life is just full of these kind of ex mountaintop experience after mountaintop experience. Or, or maybe it's the absence of stress, you know, just chilling out, comfortable, just life is just pretty straightforward. Yeah, maybe you have a view of what this utopian life might be. The Collins Dictionary um, has this to say about it. If you say that someone lives life to the full, you mean that they try to gain a lot from life by being always busy and trying new activities. So that's the way the Collins Dictionary kind of describe abundant life or life to the full. Um, in other words... Abundant life, a full life, is this jam-packed activities, experiences, and having all the resources we could possibly want. However, when you look at Desmond Tutu's life, you see a truly full and abundant life. You know, a life of, full, of real meaning and significance, but also of service and compassion, full of joy and laughter, as well as tears and grief. He was human, I'm sure he was flawed, like all of us, 
but a remarkably fruitful life that played in a part in actually shaping a country. You know, what made it full? What enabled him to live an abundant life? And the simple answer is that he was rooted in Christ. He followed the pattern and life of Jesus. John 10.10 says this, The thief comes only to steal, to kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Now what I love about Desmond Tutu is that he experienced all of human emotion. He knew what it meant to be completely human. You know, he, he, he had intrinsic weaknesses and he had faced all manner of challenges. But he did it all in the strength of Jesus. It is in this tension between the joy and the challenge of life that we somehow find the abundance of life in Jesus. And so over the next five weeks, we are going to explore five ways, five aspects of life that we can grow in that will help us to discover more and more abundance in our life in this year and in the years to come. And we're going to start today, and the title of today's talk is Look Up. We're going to start by thinking where we fix our eyes. There's a fate, well, I don't know whether it's a poem or an, an, I don't know what it is. I think it's a poem, so I'm going to call it a poem. It's called Footprints. One night, I dreamed a dream. I was walking along the beach with my Lord across the dark sky flash scenes from my life. For each scene, I noticed two sets of footprints in the sand, one belonging to me and one to my Lord. When the last scene of my life shot before me, I looked back at the footprints in the sand. There was only one set of footprints. I realized that this was at the lowest and saddest times in, of my life. This always bothered me, and I always questioned the Lord about my dilemma. Lord, you told me when I decided to follow you, you would walk and talk with me all the way. But I'm aware that during the most troublesome times of my life, there is only one set of footprints. I just don't understand why. When I need you most, you leave me. He whispered, my precious child, I love you and will never leave you. Never, ever during your trials and testings. When you, when you saw only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. I always find that poem, that piece of writing, encouraging. You know, as someone who has been a follower of Jesus, a Christian, for 26 years, I've known those times of feeling alone. I'm sure all of us have who follow Jesus. If I'm honest, this last 12 months, there's been seasons, there's been times where it's felt very alone, and I've had to ask Jesus, where are you in the midst of this? And that poem, that, that piece of writing, always pops into my head to know that even if I can't feel him, I can't see the footprints that I know he's carrying me. You know, it has been tough, hasn't it? Life has been tough. Um, it probably still is tough for a lot of people. Um, life has so many challenges, trials, difficulties, and sad moments. And when we face these times, it is so easy for us to look down or to look back and to feel alone and maybe a little overwhelmed. I'm sure I'm not the only one who looks down and looks back, maybe too much. However, in Desmond Tutu, we have an example of where we should look if we want to experience abundant life. 
This was Justin Welby, kind of summing up his life. He says this, To his dying day, he was constantly focused on Jesus Christ. To his dying day, he was constantly focused on Jesus Christ. See, that's the posture of abundant life. To look up, to fix our gaze upon Jesus, and to never turn to anything else. Hebrews 12 says this, Therefore, since we were surrounded, we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and you could put whoever you want in there, Desmond Tutu, so many wonderful followers of Jesus. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. The writer of this letter to the Hebrews captures the wonderful story of every follower of Jesus. We are to throw off everything that hinders. All of those distractions, the things that can take our focus and fix our eyes on Jesus. But why? Why should we fix our eyes on Jesus? You know, why should you, why should I fix our eyes on Jesus? Well, the writer to the Hebrews carries on. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You see, the Christian faith is unique in so many ways. But the most significant is the willingness of Jesus to be crucified in our place. God himself, Emmanuel, God with us, was born that very first Christmas, lived a perfect sinless life, and then was willing to die in our place so that we might have abundant life, everlasting life with him forever. Jesus really is someone worth gazing upon, someone worth following his pattern and life. You know, last week I was flicking through Facebook and this post came up. Hopefully we will see it on the screen. It was basically saying 20 books that you need to basically read this year to help you grow. The self-growth challenge. I thought I'd pick out a few of the titles, um, just so you know. Title one, Think and Grow Rich. The Four-Hour Body. I'm going to come back to that one later. Um, Never Get a Real Job. The 5 a.m. Club. I could go on. Now, I might be doing these books a complete injustice, so um, forgive me if you've read them and they're amazing. Um, uh, As I've never actually read them. um, But what do these titles say about the voices that we can so easily listen to and their message about having a full and abundant life? Well, firstly, our goal is to be rich. That's the goal. Think and grow rich. Is that our goal? Is that what abundant life looks like? To have a good body in the shortest and easiest amount of time. Okay, I've tried that, doesn't work. Um, (laughs) um, To have an easy life, a comfortable life, is that what it's about? And then paradoxically, we're told to work harder, to fit more in. 
wealth, image, success, comfort. So we zoom in on this four-hour body, because one of my New Year's resolutions, it is every year, but especially this year, is to get fitter and healthier. And um, anyway, this um, piqued my interest, so I thought I'd do a little bit more digging. Okay, are you ready for the actual full title of this book? The Four-Hour Body, An Uncommon Guide to Rapid Fat Loss, Incredible Sex, and Becoming Superhuman. <laughs> well, you know, what can I say? <laughs> I think he's overselling his book somewhat, but um, the, <laughs> the bio goes on. And you don't need to exhaust yourself. International best-selling author Timothy Ferris helps you reach your true genetic potential in three to six months with a commitment of less than four hours per week. Not even a day per week. Wow, that's some secret he's found. Um, you might find this hard to believe in the current kind of physical state I am, um, but I used to be trained by the National High Jump Coach in Loughborough University when I was a kid. I was number one for my age for a little period of time. That's my claim to fame. But what I can tell you for sure is it took a lot more than four hours a week to become fit enough to be able to compete at a decent level. Those that actually took it seriously, because I really didn't, um, trained four times, five times that. And then when you see people like the true, prof well, not really professional, but the full-on professional athletes, I suppose, for want of a better name, their training regimes are just amazing. I, I would beg to differ that we could reach our genetic potential in four hours a week from a physical perspective. So who is this Tim Ferriss? I thought I'd better kind of, you know, him, see who he is. Well, he has a net worth of 50 to 100 million, so the message he's selling clearly is going well. Um, he has 1.7 million followers on Twitter. He has his own show. It's called The Tim Ferriss Show. Um, and he was, for a while, um, and maybe is still, the number one business podcast on Apple. So this guy's got a track record. You know, maybe he's worth a little bit of a listen. I don't know. I don't know this guy. You know, I haven't read his book, listened to his podcast. I don't know his story. So I really am kind of using him as an example, potentially unfairly. However, the message he is promoting of health and wealth, of self-promotion, of development, and this kind of individualism, it's a false hope of eternal life, of, of abundant life. It's just, it's not, it's not it. It's not going to get us there. You know, there is one person I think, well, there's loads of people, but there's one person I always think of when I think of abundant life and a kind of countercultural story, and that is Daniel. I love Daniel. It's such a great story. So anyway, these guys were taken into captivity. Let me pick up the story. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and notability. nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well informed, well informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. So they went into training including the most lavish of foods from the king's table. They were given everything they could ever need or want. But Daniel, 
scriptures carry on. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat with the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this end and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. So here's Daniel and his friends. You know, where do they place their gaze? They put their gaze upon God. And I'd really encourage you to read the backstory of Daniel and King Josiah and how he returns kind of the ways of God to, to Israel. It's just a wonderful story. And that's the backdrop of where Daniel comes out of. And, you know, here we find them. They, they have this promise of wealth and plenty all around them. Instead, though, they keep their gaze upon God. And, you know, even though they were without the choice foods and wine, you know, and I'm sure kind of the lavish stuff that was placed before the other guys, they became more in the eyes of the officials. They trusted in God. They were obedient to God. And they became more. You know, I often think of Daniel and his mates, and um, I just think of the parties they could have had. You know, the, the extravagance. They probably have never seen anything like what was put before them. This would have been so tempting, you know, to have wine and foods and the best restaurants every night and the best university all of the time. How, you know, the willpower to say no and to trust God was incredible. They could have so easily taken their own personal development upon themselves. But they didn't. They looked up to heaven and they trusted God. See, they didn't gaze upon the ways of the wider culture or the celebrities of their day who would have been all around them. They fixed their gaze upon God. They didn't look up. Sorry, they looked up. They didn't look left or they didn't look right or they didn't look behind them or they didn't look down. They just fixed their eyes on God. It is an interesting contrast, I always find, between the authors of these self-help books compared to Jesus. See, the authors often profess to know more. They are usually kind of paint this image of this super successful person. You know, and who are kind of experts in their field and have found the secret that no one else has, like this four-hour body. But this is Jesus. This is Jesus. Philippians 2. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So what was his mindset? Who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality 
with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. I find that phrase astonishing. He made himself nothing. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, made himself nothing. The creator of the whole universe, who had every right to kind of say, hey, look at me, I'm God, made himself nothing. Astonishing. But more than that, he became obedient to death, even the most horrendous of deaths. Jesus, through whom all things were made, who now has all authority over the whole of creation, God became man, and he died in our place. You know, why did he die on the cross? Why did he have to die? And then rise again three days later. He died so that we could find life, abundant, everlasting life. You know, he didn't write a book, well, he did, kind of, <laughs> quite a good book, actually. It's worth a read. Um, no, he wrote a book. He inspired a book. Of course he did. But, but he didn't start a podcast or anything like that. Instead, he paid the price. He paid the price. He humbled himself, served each of us in the most remarkable of ways. You see, Christianity really is unique. You see, no other belief system, whether that's of faith or of none, has the person of power becoming weak, the divine becoming the scorned, God that moves towards us rather than expecting us to meet the greats. It's astonishing the love, sacrifice, grace, and compassion of Jesus, of God. You know, why should you, whoever you're watching online, whenever you watch this, why should you fix your gaze upon Jesus at the start of 2022? You know, why do I look up and, and why should you? Well, look at this divine man, fully human, fully God. You know, look at what he did. And look at what he does in our lives today. Look at what he says. Look at how he loves. Look at what he offers us. Look at how simple he has made it for us to find abundant life and everlasting life. There is no one in all of history, past or future, that is or will be more worthy of our gaze. Now, what do you want to hear from the person you fix your eyes upon? What do you want them to say to you? Do you want to hear, be richer? You must be richer. You must be more beautiful, more successful, work harder, be more selfish, look after yourself, become the best you can be. Or do you want to hear, you are loved? cared for, even carried, that you are a masterpiece, divinely inspired and perfect, that you are forgiven, and that you can have a life to the full, 
the life you were designed for. See, it's such a different message from such a different messenger. This week I let out a little cheer. It was just a little cheer. Maybe Nicola didn't even notice it was a cheer. But when the James Webb telescope finally fully opened out, I was really excited about the pictures that we're going to see about this universe. I think it will blow our minds in the summer when we start to see what this telescope shows us. You know, and, and I was watching some of the little documentary bits on the news around the decades that this telescope has taken to be made. Painstakingly, every cog and valve and microchip and bits and pieces, all the scientists, they know exactly how every little bit works. Jesus made us. He knows us. He knows our idiosyncrasies. Those habits and quirks. You know, the things that others may call blemishes, he sees as perfect. He understands how we work. He knows why we are the way we are. Why some of us are introverts and others are extroverts. And... Um, while some of us are good with words or numbers or working with our hands, why some are creative and others are practical, not that those two things are um, separate, but he knows why we are made the way we are and he knows how we work and how we thrive in the minutest of detail. You know, so when we gaze upon Jesus, he's not speaking to us in general principles, you know, in in conventional or even unconventional wisdom. He looks at us and he talks to us, to our very design. He knows the way we think, how we feel, what causes us pain and challenge. He knows how we can thrive and what abundance for us looks like. At the start of 2022, after the most challenging of seasons, as we seek to rediscover life, that seems to be the kind, of, the kind of narrative that's all around us, you know, emerging from this, kind of finding kind of freedom and life again as it was. Well, as we do that, as we seek to rediscover life, how to thrive, how we can live this abundant life, kind of really encourage you at the start of 2022 to fix your gaze upon Jesus. To look up that your eyes would be fixed on the saviour, our creator, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Now, for many of you, this will be a moment. New Year is often a moment of recalibration for life. So maybe this is going to be the moment for you where you refix your gaze upon Jesus. Maybe it's wandered with all of the troubles and challenges, the stresses of life. Well, today is the day maybe you refix. I really want to encourage you to refix your gaze upon Jesus. But you might be here or watching online and you've never fixed your gaze upon Jesus. You know, this, but this sounds wonderful. You want to know this person, Jesus, and discover this life that he has for you. This person who knows you in the minutest of detail and knows how you work and how you can thrive. Well, I'm going to pray shortly and... If you pray this prayer in your heart and you mean it, 
This is you beginning to take those steps of truly following Jesus and putting your gaze upon him. And then at the end of that, we're going to take communion. So hopefully you've all got your little communion cup things. Um, if not, then maybe just pop your hand up in a second. Um, some of the host team will just give them to you. So if worship band, you want to come and join us, um, I'm going to pray. So this is a prayer if you want to refix your gaze upon Jesus. It's a prayer of you fixing your gaze upon him for the first time. So shall we pray? Yeah, Jesus, I thank you so much that you came as a baby that first Christmas. You became human, God with us, Emmanuel. You lived a perfect life and you chose, you chose to die on the cross in our place so that we might have life and have it to the full. And Lord, I thank you that death could not hold you. But three days later, you rose again. And you're now seated at the right hand of the Father with authority over all things. I thank you that you know me. That you know each of us to the minutest of details. You know what we were made for, how we were made, our strengths, our gifts, our skills. I thank you that you know me in that level of detail. And so, Jesus, I'm going to choose today to say sorry for the times I've tried to fix myself and to go my own way. And I'm going to choose now to fix my eyes on you. Would you come into my life? Would you show me how to thrive? Would you forgive me of the times I've done stuff wrong? And would you help me to live the abundance you came and died for?